Good morning, church. How you guys doing today? All right. All right, my name is Erastus Awino. Um, usually call me Awino. It's a lot easier for people to pronounce. Um, so uh, when I met my wife, there was a lady with a very good heart, and uh, her name is Kathy Stott. <clears throat> I was walking by uh, a big hall. That's where they, they were, and they were, you know, having dinner, whatnot. I walked by, and I said hi, kind of waved, and she goes, hey, come on in. We got food. I was like, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> She's like, oh, no, seriously. Come on in. What's your name? I introduced myself, and they gave me uh, food, and I ate, and I was like, oh, this is a different kind of American, you know. And that was in a YWAM base. I just felt welcome. So I'm going to have Kathy come up here and pray for me before I start telling my story. Lord, I thank you for Aweno. I thank you for the treasure he is to you and to this earth. I ask you, Father God, that you fill him with your spirit and that his words are your words. I also ask, Father God, in the name of Jesus, that you open our hearts and our minds to what it is you have for us through Aweno. And I thank you for my son. God bless him. Amen. Thank you, Kathy. She has always been like a mother to me. She has a good heart. And um, it even makes it more special that I met her home in Africa. That's where I met her. So that makes it really, really interesting and special for me. Anyway, so um, how many people have been in the village here? You've been somewhere outside the United States in the village. Oh, yeah, it's a lot more. Oh, you're all sitting on one side. What's going on? Okay. All right, how many people have been in YWAM? Oh, they're all sitting over here. Come on now. All right, anyways, um, so I was born and raised in the village. And um, I'm going to tell you just a little bit about what the village is like. So first of all, um, you don't have running water. You don't have power. Um, you don't even have toilets. So it was a, a life that that's all I knew as a kid. And I thought it was normal, you know, because everybody, my neighbors and everyone, that's the kind of lifestyle they lived back then. So um, it was uh, one of those things that you wake up in the morning, you go to school. Uh, we walk about three miles to school and back, so that's six miles. You get back home as a kid, and then we go uh, fish water, uh, which was about two miles, so that's four miles total, going and coming back, and you are carrying about, let's see, five gallon, 20 liters, five gallon bucket. Um, it was really hard, but I thought that's, you know, that's just the way it is. I didn't know anything other than that. So, um, Growing up, uh, I come from a very big family. I've got nine siblings. And um, 
My dad was not always there. He was working, so I could only see him about once, once a year or so. It was very difficult on my mom's side, just being able to uh, take care of all these kids. Um, and one thing about my mom, um, she's, uh, she has such a good heart. She's a hardworking woman. Um, she's not educated. She started going to school. And then because back then, um, we were still under the British colony, her parents decided to kind of, uh, you know, keep her home because uh, the girls of her age were getting raped and abused and the soldiers were taking advantage of them. So, therefore, she stayed home so she doesn't get all that. And thank God, because I was born eventually. I got, you know, <laughs> I'm here now. Thank God for that. Anyways, um, so one thing that we did as kids growing up in the village, um, we had to take care of our livestock. That's all we had. As far as uh, provision-wise and resources, um, we had cows, donkeys, and, and, and goats. Some people had sheep, depending on um, how much money you have. Um, and then um, we had to cultivate the land, just like how the farmers do it in Oregon. And um, that's, that's, what, that's what you have, and that's how you make your food. Um, nobody, you don't see anybody waking up going to work in the morning. Everybody working in their own fields. And if it doesn't rain, people go hungry. Your animals die because there's no, you know, um, food. There's no water. It, it's really hard. Um, and as you know, Namibia, it's in the southern part of Africa. You can look it up on the map. And it's one of the driest countries in the world. It doesn't rain as much. Um, so it was really hard if it doesn't rain. Like right now, as I'm, as I'm speaking, uh, they're going through a drought. You need to pray for them because... Um, they are losing a lot of their cattle and, um, and goats, and, and it's really hard. So please, if you think about Namibia, pray that it will rain so that people can, you know, grow their crops and move on. So that's one thing that I had to do as a kid. And um, my grandma, who is uh, about 84 years old right now, she has always told me that... Uh, there's something about you, something different about you. I think you're going to go really far. And I was always kind of like brushing it off. Nah, I don't know what you're talking about, Grandma. <laughs> you know, because you don't know anything else besides living in the village. So you think, what's she talking about, you know? And my grandma was uh, a pretty solid Christian. And um, she never went to school uh, because back then there were no schools in Africa when she was born. Um, it was like... Think of it this way, it's like camping every day, right? That's your life, literally. You're camping every day, and um, I remember my family never owned a vehicle until I was like 17. So we had a donkey cart, we had one bicycle, and that's it. All you do is just walk back and forth, that's, you know, you use your feet. And, um, you know, I, I shared this this morning that, you see a lot of African people out there, you know, when you watch the Olympics, they're winning all these marathons, right? It's because throughout the day as a little kid, and this starts like at the age of eight, you're walking about 10 miles each day. And you get really like, you, you are so in shape, you're growing up that way. So when you're like 18, I mean, you can just run for days and no problem. 
because your heart is built that way. It's everything. It just, yeah. So anyway, that's one of the, uh, I guess, advantage to that. So, so um, my mom was um, beginning to get somehow ill. She was kind of getting sick. And um, my dad got sick at the same time. And at the age of 45, I lost my dad. By that time, I was in high school. I was 17 years old. And uh, came to find out that my dad uh, passed away because he was HIV positive, And I didn't know about it. Um, I guess my mom knew about it, but we were kids, so they never really wanted us to know those things. So that was really hard on me, losing my dad. Um, so I had to quit school so I can find a job and support my mom. So I had to go to a kind of like the big city um, so I can find a job there. So my job was working as a security guard. It was probably one of the uh, most difficult jobs I've ever had in my life. And I was one of the youngest. I got hired because of my height, because I was still underage. So they're not supposed to hire me, but for some reason they hired me. They said, oh, he's tall enough. Just pull him in. <laughs> That's how I got the job. And I started working. I worked really hard. And I, they put me on night shift. So in Africa, you work 12 hours a day. You don't work eight hours. Thank God for, you know, living in America. It's like 40 hours a week. That's it? I can do that all day. <laughs> so uh, I started, um, my shift was, you know, starting from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and um, it was really hard because uh, there's a lot of crimes in Africa. Um, it's a different kind of crimes, you know. I worked at the place where uh, what I was guarding, it was uh, on a freeway, um, like kind of like I-5. So that's where all the semi-trucks are driving through. And they would uh, put them on a wait station and make sure that they're not overloaded. So if somebody's, you know, overloaded, they pull them off and... Get, a, get fined, and then we have to park their truck in the yard. So I was, you know, protecting everything that was in those trailers because who knows? It, sometimes it's computers. Sometimes it's, um, you know, diamonds maybe. Who knows? So people will come out and try to break in so they can steal what's in there. So I was the guy to protect that. So there was this night. I'm kind of dozing off. It was uh, around about 3 a.m. I'm, I'm looking, and I'm, oh, man, I'm I'm tired. All of a sudden, I see these three guys walking towards me, you know, and I have a pistol, I have a shotgun, and um, I'm just not prepared at this point. <clears throat> so I'm like, uh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, this wave of the Holy Spirit just came upon me. Just like, I got you. You're fine. Everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about anything. You know, typically, by this time, you know those guys are in the yard. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. They're going to rob you. They're going to probably kill you or tie you up or something like that. And I'm just not moving because the Spirit said, just sit, sit still. It's all right. And I knew it was God because there was something different about that feeling. So I sat still, kind of dozing off still. I'm not really awake, but I'm awake. So they came by. They stood right in front of me. <laughs> and they, they looked at me. 
They're like, mm-mm. They turn around and walk right back. They got back in their truck and they drove away. And I'm like, what was that? I was so confused. I didn't understand. Like, what? They didn't take anything? I'm still good. You know, everything is good. You know, it's something, something, some, some, something's up. And um, I went home the next morning. Didn't tell anybody about it. You know, I'm a day sleeper. So I went home and fall asleep, you know. And then I had a dream while I was sleeping. The Lord was talking about me going to YWAM, talking about this is not the job that I'm supposed to be doing. This is just something to help out, but this is not it. He had a plan and a purpose for my life. And that's how I ended up at YWAM. But on the same night, my pastor had a, the same dream about me too. It was exact same thing. So here's what he didn't know. He didn't know that I had the same dream last night. So he just called me up. Hey, we know I have something that I need to tell you. And I don't really like it because at a time I was also part of the, uh, uh, the youth pastoral team in our church. So he knew that I was going to go. I was going to leave. And um, I was kind of going to leave it. A big gap there. So he told me the dream, and the whole time I'm holding, but don't say anything. Just, just wait and see where it's going. And he's telling me the dream like he was the one telling me the dream. So right then I was like, that's it. I'm going. I'm done. I'm quitting my job. And he's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm like, no, no, that's it. The Lord has confirmed that's it. I'm done here. I'm done with the church. I'm done with my job. I'm going to YOM. I'm going to serve the Lord. That's how I made up my mind like that. So he drove me to YOM. I had like, you know, two pairs of shoes, one t-shirt, I think, and two pairs of pants, maybe two underwears or something like that. I didn't have socks, I don't think. <laughs> it was a difficult uh, time of my life. And um, so we got there, and they were like, we got to YWAM, and they were like, oh, we're full. There's, there's no, you know, we're full. We just actually got full. And I, I go, no, but, but the Lord said, I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> Somehow, I'm supposed to be here. And, and, they, and they go, well, um, are you a Namibian? I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, this man, he was from New Zealand. His name was Jules Barry. I still remember his name. And um, he goes, you know, but we still need um, a male with multilingual. That's kind of somebody that we need because we're full right now, but we could use somebody like that. Are you, do you speak multilingual? I'm like, I'm your guy. <laughs> He's like, you speak like three? I speak five. I, I'm, the, I'm the right guy. I'm like pushing myself in because, you know, I, and then all that based on, you know, the dream and everything, it's just leading to success. And that was just my faith being built right there. Like God said, I will be with you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? That's something that you have to keep in mind. When the scriptures are saying, I will be with you all the days of your life, you got to believe that. You have to believe it. Because that's what the Lord is saying. You can apply any scripture in your life and it will come to pass. So I started my faith. I could just see myself growing and getting to know the Lord deeper at, at different levels. And I was growing. And, you know, I was only 18 years old at the time. 
But I was willing to do anything that he wanted me to do at that time. And I said, Lord, I will go anywhere you send me. I'm yours now. My heart is yours, and I'm not looking back. I don't care what anybody's saying out there. Even this school, I'm going in. I'm, I'm, this is it. <laughs> and uh, the, the guy was like, oh, I love his passion. I think, yeah, he's the right man. So I, I enrolled in, and then the next day I woke up, and they go, well, we have a fee. You have money. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't have money. I don't, that's one thing I don't have. But the Lord wants me to be here. That's always what I said. Every time I, 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 you know, an obstacle come in my way, I always say, well, I might not have that right now, but this is where the Lord wants me to be. So you have to remind yourself and remind the people around you, this is what I'm supposed to do. Because that's what the Lord said. And I was very confident, and I believed his word, and I knew he was taking me places that I haven't been before. Because when I was 12, my grandma, you remember the story from the beginning? She always said, this is what's going to happen to you. And I didn't really take it serious, but now it was all of a sudden making sense. And then I was like, yes, this is it. So, um, you know, after a little bit, somebody donated some money and paid my school fee. Just like that. Thank Jesus. I was like, this is it. I was the first student to pay my fee, but I was the first one who didn't have anything. Everybody kind of had half and a little bit here and there, so I got it all paid for. And now, think about what that does to a young man like me back then. Just faith being built right there. I knew the Lord was going to do something great in my life, and then I just kept pushing. Now, anything after that that came my way, even right now standing here, I always remind myself of the word of God and how he spoke to me from the very beginning. You can't forget about things that the Lord has said about you because those are yours and they are yours alone. No matter how old you get, you got to remind yourself of those things. And you got to believe it. You got to walk in it. Amen? God is good? God is good? Are you guys awake? Are you enjoying this, Ethan? Good. Good. All right. So, uh, there's something about YWAM Namibia. So, ever since I was the only person multilingual back then, um, when we went on outreach, you know, in YWAM, you, you, you spend a lot of time praying and trusting the Lord where he wants you to go as a team. So, for some reason, the Lord picked the Himba tribe. You can look it up when you go home. They are one of the most isolated tribe in Africa. They are very rooted in witchcraft. I mean, they are great worshipers, but they spend so much time worshiping the wrong thing. That's something you need to know about African people. They worship. That's natural to us. But most of them back then... In those villages, they worship the holy fire, they, they, they worship, you know, their ancestors and whatnot. So, for some reason, the Lord wanted us to go to this village. And this is one of those places where Christians usually say, Ah, oh, somebody died there. Ah, oh, somebody got demonized there. I don't know if we can go there. I think we need to fast for like a week or something, you know. 
And I knew the story. I knew the history of the village. So I was like, what do I say now? I go, well, the Lord wants me here, so he wants me there too. I started encouraging everybody because you th- look at it this way. When you are in a, a, a DDS or discipleship training school, there's so many people. You have people from England, Australia, New Zealand, um, uh, China, uh, Korea, the United States. You have almost everybody. We even had a student from Russia. So now I'm sitting here. I'm only one of the only Namibians in the group, and I'm thinking, I... I need to share a little bit more about this village, not to scare people, but to be prepared. You know, I started sharing a little bit of stories that I knew from from those villages, and I said, we need to be prepared. We spent a lot of time preparing. Anyway, so we got to the village, and um, the first thing you do when you get there as a Christian, if you ever go to the village somewhere in Africa or anywhere in the world, um, there's always a chief in the village. The headman, they call him, or the headwoman. So you have to get permission to speak to their people. And we had so much respect for that. So I knew the culture. Uh, the Lord just used me in that area. I was able to, you know, have an invitation, and we went to meet with the chief. And guess what happened? The chief gave his life to Jesus first, and the rest of the family so as soon as you do that, you know something great is going to happen. Because once the chief is saved, everybody else wants to follow his footsteps. That's just how it works. So he invited everybody, and we had a crusade. And this village had almost 300 people. It was a pretty big village. But now you need to think about this. These people have never heard of the good news. Never. And this is only 2006. And um, one of the main reasons is because people were kind of, it was scary going in there. Because, you know, uh, it was really dark place. And um, I remember the Lord saying, keep in mind, I'm with you, everything you do. But also, I had to listen to his voice just like Moses did. Is it time? Oh, you know, you need to pray some more. Can I go in now? Oh, no, you need to pray some more. So we spent a lot of time back and forth. Pray some more, pray some more, pray some more. So we would pray some more and more and more and more. When it was the time we had that crusade, about 80% of those people gave their life to Jesus. Come on. That was the majority of people I've seen giving their life to Jesus at once. And even the, uh, uh, um, the public knew, like, the news crew actually showed up because it was like, what in the world? This is one of the most nation, uh, I mean, tribe in Africa, in our country, that everybody had fear. We're not going in there. No, no, no. Because sometimes people actually came out being chased out and whatnot. But for some reason, we went in there. <laughs> and uh, the Lord used us mightily. And great things happened. Now, these people have never heard about the gospel. So we were only supposed to be there for about three days. So we ended up spending a week because we had to teach them baptism. They wanted to be baptized. 
They wanted to be purified under the blood of Jesus. They wanted to be clean and start worshiping the Lord Jesus. So we spent about four days teaching them, uh, looking up scriptures about baptism, and we helped them. After doing that, we spent the whole Sunday baptizing people. I remember standing in the water, just calling upon the Holy Spirit, and it just came. And you can see people getting healed, people getting saved, just greater things happened. And that's when I realized that God, when he says something, you know, there's something about this. When you know God has said something about your life, and you really believe it, you have to do something about it. Because if you don't do anything about it, it will never come to pass. Right? You got to do something about it. You can't be just sit back and say, oh, well, maybe one day. Maybe one time. You got feet. You got hands. You got brain. You're gifted. You're able. And he's just saying, hey, this is what I want to do. Sometimes the picture might not be as vivid, but you're going to dig a little deeper and say, God, what, what's that that you really want me to do? I was a little kid, you know, I was, I was only 18, and um, I had to obey his voice, and I had to obey his call. And when I see hundreds of people coming to the Lord, and think about this, I was a translator. So every time somebody had to get up and say something, I have to be up front. <laughs> every single time, because none of these people knew how to speak the local languages. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I put myself into? This is awesome. This is great. This is always what I wanted to do. And then I forgot about all the poverty that I grew up with because when you have Christ in you, you're rich. There's nothing more satisfying than being a Christian and just being in relationship with the Holy Ghost. Knowing that God is with you everywhere you go. Knowing that he's not going to let you down. People let you down all the time, one way or the other, but God will never change. Okay? He remains faithful forever. Praise the Lord. So while I was doing that, uh, YOM, um, moving on into my story, one of my YOM leader, his name was Brian Kinghorn, wonderful man of God, and um, he had a vision at some point, and he said, you know, when we are not leading YWAMs and, and, and teams and outreaches, we kind of either go home or just spend some time at the base. Uh, the Lord spoke to him and he said, in the village, uh, sorry, not in the village, this time it was in the city, there was a very poor community called Katutura, which means we're here to stay, right? There was uh, probably one of the most, like, high-rated crime in the city at a time. So, I remember us spending time, sometimes all day, sometimes, you know, all night, if necessary. We used that scripture, you know, when, when um, was it Joshua, when they surrounded the walls of Jericho, and everything just collapsed. We took that principle we applied it into a present life, what we were facing. We said we need to walk around and drive around the city, this little area, and just pray and trust God so that we can gain 
or take that land away from the devil. Now think about it. It's really hard. It's really dark. It's, uh, so you have, you have like, you know, the thing about Africa, you have the rich people and then you have the poor people. You don't really have in between. So the poorest are being pushed away out there and then the rich people are up there. They live up on the hills and whatnot. So these poor people that live kind of close to the city, um, they don't have power, none of that. So we would drive around at night. Everybody can see us. It was scary because you can get robbed. And we were singing and shouting and praying. And we, we were claiming we wanted to, to own this land so we can actually do something with it. Because there were so many people that are being really abused and killed. A lot of killing. So in the middle of that area, there was a, a nightclub. It was like the biggest building in the area. <laughs> that's how it stood out. And we said, God, that's the building we want. We want that lot right there. So we came to find out that the owner of that nightclub, he, uh, he got you know, in trouble with, with the police. He was doing some stuff that was illegal. And um, we just kept praying. After a while, this place was on sale. We knew that that was the Lord. But another challenge came in. How much is this place? Two million Namibian dollars. You know, if you've been in YWAM, that sounds like, oh, mm -mm, that's a lot of money. I don't know how we're going to get this. You know, it was a lot of money. Um, that's uh, 140,000 U.S. dollars. So we began to pray. And we were praying. I'm not talking about, oh, once in a while we pray. No. Every time you think about it, you pray. We just pray, God, God, help us provide. All of a sudden, this random stranger from, um, he was a Dutchman. He gave us a check. Two million dollars, not even dollars, cash. That's how the Lord came through. Just like that. Now we own the land. Come on. Come on now. <laughs> now if you are following my story, as I was walking through the valley of death, right? There's always the stumbling block somehow. Walking this way. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, I can't do it. That, that's just how life is. I believe each one of you here, you... You walk in this life, you go through a lot of ups and downs, right? But that's when you turn to Jesus, man. That's when you just say, God, what do I do? How do I overcome this? Because he's an overcomer. He's a conqueror, all right? He can do anything you ask him to. You're just going to believe. You're just going to believe your heart has to be connected with the Word of God. It's all in here, man. It's all in the Bible. You know, you just, you know, you can have pastors up here preaching, but it's up to you to take that into practice. Amen? So the Lord gave us this place, and then we also had enough money to renovate it. This is called Beautiful Kids. It's a very special place. We have, um, I think the, the number has grown uh, 
almost to uh, 400 kids coming in there. I'm talking from the age of three to 21. Most of these kids are uh, neglected. They, 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 they live in the street. You know, um, it's, a, it's a place where people drink a lot. Um, like I said, there was a lot of killing. So we had to uh, pray for more people to come in and help us. And, you know, we had volunteers in and out. And that's how I, that's how I met my wife. It was through that program. And um, isn't that just amazing? Um, going through, trusting God for something, and then all of a sudden, that was something that somehow drew my wife to come to Africa and serve. That's not what I planned. But you know what? God always has that secret plan that you don't know. You're so focused on this, but it's like, oh, there's even more greater things over here. Just keep on going. You just got to keep going. Don't give up on your faith. Don't give up on what you're doing. If you know God has called you for something special, you're going to just go after it. Okay? So um, while we're doing that, so just I'm going to talk a little bit about beautiful kids. So we have preschool, and then we have uh, youth club, we call it, and then you have about four classes for uh, um, where we, we, have, we have high school coming in, you know, high school students to do their homeworks. Because think about it, these kids don't have, they come from very, very, very poor families. Some of them are homeless, but they're going to school. Have you seen somebody homeless going to school? We have a lot of kids that are homeless but are going to school. And some of those kids graduate from college and they have stories just like me. Going around the world, going around Africa sharing those stories. You have to make the bad, the ugly into the good. Because Christ can change any circumstances. You just got to believe. All right? So, this place is a place where it's like the center of hope. Their parents are coming in, we feed them. The kids are coming in, we feed them. We teach them, we help them, and it's just amazing. But it took so much time and energy, and we had to focus on God, and we had to pray, and God came through. So, my face... My, my, my faith is, is rooted in, in, in God, but there's so many things that he has done in my life that I have witnessed that every time I come across something that's very difficult, I'm just like, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's what I tell myself. That's nothing comparing to what God is able to do. And I'm saying this because I want to encourage you guys. You know, sometimes life gets really tough, Right? Like I said, when I was 17, I lost my dad. I was a little hopeless because I looked up at him and, you know, he was my dad. And all of a sudden, he was gone and I was becoming a man. I was only 17. What am I going to do? But I turned to Christ. And he gave me what I needed. Amen? So I'm going to read a... Let's, let's turn to... A, First book of uh, Timothy, uh, chapter 4, verse 12 to 16. I'm going to read from the NIV here. It said, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, and in love. 
in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public, reading scriptures, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy. When the body of elders laid their hands on you, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them and um, because if you do, you will save both yourself and people hearing it. Uh, one thing I like about this is that I was so young and there's a lot of young people in here. You know, some, sometimes you get caught up in, you know, Going, going with the flow, but you, you're going to think you're special, you're unique, God has a, you know, a purpose for your life, you're going to dig a little deeper and just follow that with your heart. Sometimes you don't even have people encouraging you to do it. Maybe your parents might not be in the, good, in the right place or whatnot, but you're going to focus on the Bible and what the Lord is saying about you. That's what I did, and I hope that helps and that goes a long way with adults too. Sometimes you feel like, oh, maybe my life is over. Oh, I retired. I don't really, you know, I'm just going to sit home and watch TV. Come on, man. There's a lot you can do out there. You got saved. You're blessed to be a blessing to others. Okay? Make use of an opportunity, every opportunity you get. This is something that I, I learned from my mom. So my mom is HIV positive, right? She lives every day like it's her last. She has five, five to six kids that she's taking care of. None of those kids have parents. Here, I think in America, they call it foster kids, right? But actually, those ones are orphans because they don't have parents, okay? And uh, sometimes I ask her, what keeps you going, mom? What keeps you going? And she always says the same thing every time. Christ is the hope of glory. Every morning I wake up and I say, thank you, God, that's another day I'm still alive. And those kids that she's taking care of, they keep her going because they have something to do. A lot of people that are HIV positive in Africa, they don't even last for a year. And that's when I realized it's all in here. Perception. The way you think about things, the way you, you look at things, the, the way, you know, the people you associate with, how you treat yourself mentally, spiritually, physically, all goes hand in hand. And God cares for all of that. And God wants you to live the life to the fullest. But don't forget, the most important thing is life with Christ. Amen. I'm going to read my last scripture here. Let's, let's look at the book of um, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7. It says, For the Spirit of God gave us... I'm sorry. For the Spirit of God gave us... Oh, it does not make us timid, uh, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This is something that I had to apply on a daily basis. When I was in those situations, sometimes I was getting nervous. I was scared. But I had to remind myself that I've got the Spirit of God. How many of you in this place got filled with the Holy Spirit before? You can just put up your hands. You don't have to, but 
You remember that feeling? You feel like you can do anything, right? You're so encouraged. You're so pumped. Yes. Can you imagine living like that every day? That shouldn't be just a moment that happened on Sunday. That should be your lifestyle. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. That's how you overcome. Amen? You guys still awake? God is good. And all the time. I'm about done here. Um, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. Thank you that um, you are able. Thank you that you're faithful and you're powerful and you can do anything. Father, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We do not have to live in fear. Christ is everything to us. And I just want to pray for each and every individual in this place that you would just touch and fill them with your spirit. Remind them of the days that they have given their life to Jesus. That feeling, wanting more, hungry. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in here that haven't encountered the Lord yet, I pray that they will come to the Lord today. Because they are missing out. Lord, I pray that you soften our hearts and help us to receive whatever you have installed for us. You're such an amazing God and we love you so much. And thank you for being with us. Amen. If there's anybody here that have never encountered the Lord Jesus, if you have never given your life to Jesus, and you kind of feel like this is the time you would like to give your life to Jesus, we would like to pray with you. Like I said, there's nothing better than being a Christian. Amen? So if, if this is something that you think, you know, this message touched you and you would like to give your life to Jesus, um, if the prayer seven team can come up front as well, pray with us, and um, I would like to call up Jason. Uh, I love you guys. God bless you. Thank you for listening to my stories. I have a lot more. If you want to get hold of me, talk to me, you know, anywhere. I'm usually out and about holding my kid, you know, but uh, I like to encourage people. That's just something that I like to do, and um, I'm willing to help. Amen? God bless you.